0: Well, good morning! Happy Father's Day. I don't know if you caught that. We didn't actually ask them what they were thankful for. We asked them about an embarrassing story. So you're welcome for that. (laughs) All right. Well, again, happy Father's Day. We're so excited you guys are here. You guys packed this place out. This is great. Um, I've been a father for about two and a half years now, and I can tell you it has been a trip. Uh, I know uh, those of you who are fathers who've been father much longer, You have way more stories than I do, but it's just been fun to get some stories out of being a dad. Even just a couple weeks ago, my son, Teddy, made me get in his kiddie pool with him. You can take a look at this beautiful picture. This is in our backyard, and you can see, this is the funny part of the story. You can see the road from our backyard? (laughs) Our backyard kind of slants down, so we don't have any privacy and it's a busy road, that's 112, so tons of cars are driving by all day. And I was actually talking to the McClures last week, Chase and Katie, and they told me they drove by. but They saw me sitting in my kiddie pool. <laughs> Apparently they couldn't see Teddy. <laughs> so all they saw was this, this hairy, full-grown adult man sitting in a kiddie pool in his backyard. And it made me wonder how many cars were driving by just judging me. But, you know, it's been fun. Fatherhood has caused me to do a lot of things I never thought I would do. It's been so much fun. But in the spirit of Father's Day, we're we're simply going to be talking about fatherhood today. We're talking about fatherhood. What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean for God to be our father? We're talking about fatherhood. So I want to jump right in and talk about this. We may know this, but God is father. That's who God is. That's what we learn in, in the Bible, and that's what many of us use this word for father or word for God all the time. Many of us begin our prayers with this. We we pray, Heavenly Father or Father, and then we continue on praying. And it's become such a habit in, in Christian circles that I think sometimes we can fail to realize how radical this concept really is. That Jesus taught us to relate with God as our Father. Even the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 starts with our Father in heaven. I want to read you a quick quote from a guy named R.C. Sproul. He says this, and he wrote this in like the mid 90s. So when he says a few years ago, early 90s, he says, A few years ago, a German scholar was doing research in New Testament literature and discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, in all existing books of the Old Testament, in all existing books of extra biblical Jewish writings, basically means Jewish writings that aren't in the Bible. Dating from the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D. in Italy, there is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as father. And then you have Jesus who shows up, and all of a sudden, he's talking about God as his father. All the time, he he addresses God as my father. And I don't know if you realize this, but this is part of the reason why people wanted to kill him. The religious elite saw that as blasphemy. Like, how dare you call God your personal father? But he doesn't stop there. He actually tells us to do the same. I mentioned it already, but Matthew 6, 9, Jesus teaches his disciples. He says, this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And he continues on. This is radical. In the entire Old Testament, God is referenced as father 15 times total. And it's not of individuals. It's of like the nation of Israel, or he's the father of all creation, but not to individuals. Jesus in, in the New Testament mentions it over 165 times. You see that there's a radical shift, a radical difference, and it starts with Jesus. It's the beautiful thing. So, God is our father. In Christ, because of what he did on the cross, we can come to God as our father as well. Does that make sense? In Christ, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. He is our father, not just as a a general uh, place of uh, he created us, but as an intimate, deep relationship. And God is the one who defines fatherhood. If we got to define fatherhood, it might look something like this picture. You may recognize some of these faces. These are some of the faces that are more popular in TV shows over the last, I don't know how many years. Um, these are the ones that I knew, at least, so I know, I know there's more. But they have their bright moments sometimes, maybe not Homer Simpson. Uh, but more often than not, what we see in TV and in movies, we've seen a lot of fathers and men in general kind of portrayed as these bumbling buffoons, right? Even the best ones. I, you know, I, I kind of, this was personal for me, picking fathers. Like I picked Philip Banks here, if you've ever watched... Uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I love Philip Banks. He's a great, great father figure. But I went back and watched a c- couple highlights just to see, like, okay, should I put him up here? And he even has plenty of moments where he's just kind of a dummy. And he says the wrong thing. And he makes a fool of himself. So if we get to define fatherhood, honestly, this is kind of what happens, is we try to make it into a joke. But God is the one who gets to define Fatherhood, it's this relationship of intimacy, of love, of patience, of forgiveness. And too often, as Christians, if you believe, or even if you don't believe, sometimes we, we paint God in such a picture where we almost still feel like he's this cold, callous, distant deity who is just disappointed with us or is angry with us until we say we're sorry or feel bad about our sin. You may not think about God directly in those terms, but honestly, I think that's, subconsciously, a lot of us still treat God that way. And in fact, I know for many of you, many of you may not have very good relationships with your fathers. Some of you may not even have fathers in your life. And unfortunately, what happens is is our picture of our earthly father can very much influence the way we see God. If we call God our father, it makes sense. It's natural for us to start seeing him Similar in similar ways that we see our earthly father. And even the best dads in the world are still imperfect, right? Even the best dads have their sin, have their dysfunction. So it's easy to move that and look at God in that way. And I just want to emphasize that all over again, is that God is the one who defines fatherhood. He gets to define it. So I want to look at a few passages just to try to capture his heart for us so that we can start to see him more and more as our father. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. If you brought your Bibles, uh, I'd love for you to turn and follow with me. It's something we've been pushing a lot is to bring your paper Bibles. If you, if you have it, if you don't, that's fine. Uh, I would encourage you to bring one next week. But 1 John, this isn't one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels that talk about the life of Jesus. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is way further back in the Bible. This is one of the smaller letters written by the same guy named John. So 1 John Chapter 4, 7 through 12. And he says this. says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. It's a very, very often quoted passage today. God is love. But again, he's the one who gets to define that. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but we love one another, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's a powerful passage. God himself is love. And he's the motivation for us to love others. He's the heart of a father. So even the hardest things that, I mean, we all have questions about God. We all have things that we wrestle with. But even the hardest things to understand, we have to put it under this umbrella that God is love. That's who he is. He doesn't experience love. He doesn't give his love sometimes when he wants to, when he feels like it. He is love all the time. And he shows that to us in Jesus. Jesus himself says this in Luke chapter 11. He's teaching his disciples about fatherhood, right? And he says in verses 11 through 13, he says, Which of you fathers, he's talking to earthly fathers, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. I don't know where Jesus got his analogies, but it <laughs> kind of makes me laugh. If you then, though you are evil or sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus kind of throws out this ridiculous analogy. And this actually hits home for me now because one of Teddy's favorite things are eggs. Eggs. He, just, he loves eggs. It's what he wants for most mornings for breakfast. And uh, recently we actually got a, a Roomba robot vacuum because of the messes that happen in our house now. And I asked Teddy if, what he wanted to name it, and he named it Eggy, <laughs> Eggy the robot vacuum. So my son loves eggs, right? So if my son asks me for an egg, am I going to give him a scorpion just to mess with him? Like Jesus is being, I mean, Jesus has a sense of humor, right? This is ridiculous. It's like, of course not. That's that's absurd. Where did you even get that? But again, he's pointing out the God's heart for us. It's like, okay, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, God knows way better. And specifically, His presence, the Holy Spirit that lives in us and walks with us, He's going to give us His presence to go with us through our lives every single day, every single moment. That's God's fathering heart for us. And then there's another par- a parable, a very long one. I'm, not, I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. I'd encourage you to write it down if you haven't read it or are not terribly familiar with it, but it's called The Prodigal Son in Luke 15, through 32. Really encourage you to write this down, study it, look into it on your own time, because it is one of the longest parables that Jesus ever told. It's just a small story, but it's one of the longest ones he told, and it's by far one of the most important for how Jesus taught us about God as our father. But basically what happens is there's this father, and he's got two sons, and one of them decides to come up to him and says, you know what, you know how like, you owe me an inheritance when you die? Yeah, just give that to me now. I'm gonna take off and go do my own thing. He's basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's mine, I'm out. And so he goes, he takes this, I don't know why the father agrees, but the father does and gives him half of his stuff and this guy takes off and just squanders all of it on reckless living. And then when he's in his di- in dire straits, he thinks to himself, he's like, "You know what? My dad still has servants that at least he feeds. So, I'm just going to go back and put together this apology so maybe I can just live back there and survive." So he does. That's what he decides to do. He walks back and his father is still watching for him. Who knows how much time has passed. He's looking for him off in the distance. He sees him way off in the distance, and he picks up his robe and just books it as fast as he possibly can to get to his son. And when he gets there, his son starts the speech, you know, like, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, you know, will you take me as a servant? And, and his father just stops him and says, no, you're my son. I don't care what you've done, I don't care what has happened in the past, you're still my son. He gives him a robe, he gives him a ring, he gives him all of these things to communicate, you're my son. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and you were found. That's God's heart for us. For us, it's not just a story. This is what God wants to communicate to you this morning. That he loves you more than you could possibly imagine and there's nothing that you can do that can take away any of his love for you. I recently read this quote by a guy named Jay Stringer and it's been something that's really been stuck in my mind And it's beautiful. He says this, The Father, God, who waits for us, is not ashamed of us. On the contrary, he is a cheerful and indiscriminate host. He offers invitations to everyone, particularly those whom society deems most unclean, unworthy, and perverse. What should make us most uncomfortable about sin is not our failures, but how loose God is in his table invitations. Can we really be that loved and desired at the depths of our failures? Sin is an opportunity to be loved abundantly. It's pretty radically different than the way we tend to think about our sin, right? The way we think about our failures. I think too often we come to God just expecting that he's disappointed with us, that he's angry with us. God just wants us to sit with him, to share a meal, to enjoy his presence. Right? All of our sin, past, present, and future, has been dealt with on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he dealt with our sin. That's not an obstacle for God anymore. You realize that? Even if we continue to sin, and we all do because we're all human, right? Even if we continue in some ways, that is not going to get in the way of Jesus' love for you. God's response is, you know what? Okay, yeah, not great, but we're going to deal with it together. I just want you to be with me. I just want you to be in my presence. You see the difference? Does God hate sin? Absolutely, he hates it. But we gotta think about it differently, right? Because God hates sin in the same way that I hate anything that threatens my son's life. I found myself becoming a much, much angrier driver since Teddy was born because every little thing that I notice, I feel it all the more, you know, clearly that, that, hey, this is a threat not to just general people on the road. This is a threat to my son. When I see people on their phones while they're driving, whew, if that's you, I'm sorry, I might hurt your feelings a little bit, but please stop. Oh, my gosh. I, I've, <laughs> Amanda, Amanda gets a little afraid of me sometimes when I'm in the car because I will unashamedly honk at those people. I'll drive up to them, honk, and make sure that they see me, and I'll just, you know, do this motion. Just like, put your phone down. Come on. I get angry, Right. <laughs> And it's because it threatens my son. And that's the way God views our sin. He's not angry at us. He's not ashamed at us. He's angry at the things that threaten us. And he's patient with us. Is who we are. And he wants to walk through life with us, raise us up, help us to mature, help us to grow, and help us to live more and more into the life that he's accomplished for us on the cross. Second Peter 3.9 is one of my favorite passages. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient with us. He's not angry. He's not disappointed. He's not ashamed. He's patient. And he wants to work out the things in our life that steal our joy, that steal our intimacy with him. We need to understand God as Father, not just at a heart level, or not, not just as a head level, as a heart level. And I can tell you, first and foremost, that this has been one of the hardest things for me, even in ministry. Like, I don't know what you think of me, Brian, or anybody else on stage. Like, we're, we're no holier than you, necessarily. Like, we, just, we have just as much stuff that we're wrestling through in our life. And I can tell you, it's, it doesn't make it easy. Like, I, I'll tell you this, just on a similar note. Like, this is not easy for me to read, either. The Bible's not easy for, I don't wake up every morning and be like, yeah, that's the first thing I want to do necessarily. Like, I would love to get to that point, but for us to read our Bible and to pray, it's not easy. But we, we're called to do it, to develop that relationship. But in the same way, it's, it's been really hard for me to understand at a heart level God as my Father. Like, I know it in my brain. I know that God loves me. Everything I've told you so far, I know that in my head, but getting that to my heart is a different thing. And when it gets to your heart, what it does is you begin to operate out of that truth. Your actions, your words, the way that you walk, the way that you carry yourself is affected by that core truth that I am a son or daughter of the God of the universe. That's different than just having a head knowledge about it, right? So as I was preparing for this message, I I was wrestling with God with some of this because like I said, this can be hard for me to believe sometimes. And so I spent some time journaling and reading my Bible and looking through these things. And I remember writing down, and this was just this week, I wrote down some of my thoughts and some of my struggles. And I said, you know what, God, I just wrestle with my failures. I wrestle with the areas of my life where I know I don't live up to what you've called me to. And so what I wrote down, these are just my honest feelings and thoughts. I wrote down like, God, I just feel like I should be there. I just feel like I should be there already, wherever there is, like not, not perfect. I know I'm not going to necessarily be perfect on earth, but there being like, it's just a little further along the way, right? I just feel like I should be further in different ways. I feel like, you know, some of the things that I've wrestled with in the past, I feel like I should be done with those. They should be way in the past, or now I'm wrestling with my anger issues on the, dry, on the road and other areas of my life, and now new things are coming up. I'm like, oh, I got to wrestle with that, but I just feel like I should be there, by now. And so I wrote this out in my journal. I was just wrestling, and I decided often what I do in, in my time with, with God is to open up a devotional. So I opened up my favorite devotional. It's called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. That, there's actually a link to that in the app, too, if you're curious about it. It's Just a daily devotional, and so I just flipped open to the day that I was doing all this, and this is what I saw. The title is Getting There. <laughs> I was like, I'm just sitting here. I even like put in quotations in my journal there and I circled it. Like, I just don't feel like I'm there. And he gives me this, getting there. I'm like, okay, God, I'm listening. <laughs> and the passage associated with is Matthew 11:28. 28. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Just be with me. That's how you get there. Just be with me, your father. So this was a really cool aspect of my week because I was wrestling with some of this stuff and God just gave me a direct answer of just, just start being with me more and not just to learn something but just, just learn what it means to be my son. To delight in me. So like I said, this can be really hard for us. It's hard to move it from our head to our hearts. But that's work that we all need to do. We need to continue to push in and work through anything that's preventing us from truly believing that and get to that point where we start to operate more and more out of that truth. That's what we need. And I can tell you, um, again, one thing I'm very thankful for in being an actual father is that God has used my son to teach me so much about God's heart for me. I'll tell you, even just last night, um, we went to the Sheldon's retirement party. We're hanging out, and as much as I love my son, <laughs> I asked him at one point, I hey, Teddy, do you have to go to the bathroom? Do you have to go potty? And right away, he's like, no. That's his favorite answer right now. <laughs> but no. And I was like, okay. And we're trying to train him. Like, he's been, we potty trained him months ago. We're trying to train him and to, to tell us when he has to go. I'm like, okay, I'll trust you. Not 60 seconds later... He's wetting himself, pooping himself, and I'm like, now I get to clean this up. And so that was fun. It was frustrating. And then as we were leaving on our way home, he's tired. He starts flailing around, and he hits me in the face. (laughs) Then he starts laughing, and I'm like, Daddy, that hurt. And then he laughs louder, and I'm just like, oh, so frustrating. Other fathers in the room, you know, (laughs) kids are frustrating. But even in moments like that, you know, I still feel love for my son. And it can be overwhelming at times, right? Sometimes I think that's why it makes me feel so sad is because I love my son so much. And it's in moments like that where God still, pretty often, he'll find a way to get in my mind and, and just tell me and say, the love that you feel for your son is just a fraction of what I feel for you. God has a father's heart toward us. He loves us more than we can possibly Imagine. So we've talked about what it means for God to be Father. And we're, that'll still be part of the rest of this morning, but I want to shift gears a little bit because there's a lot of fathers in this room. You stood up, we clapped for you, we acknowledged you. There's people in this room that, are, that want to be fathers. There, there are people in this room that miss their fathers. But I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about what does this mean? If, if, if God is Father, what does that mean for us as fathers? Well, first thing I want you to realize, this is something that struck me again this week as I was preparing. I don't know if i would ever thought about it this way before, but fathers share a title with God himself. You ever thought about that? If you're a father, you actually share a title with God. And it's not just any title. This is Jesus' favorite title for God. We get to share that. There's something special about fatherhood. There really is. And I don't want to dismiss mothers in the room by any means. A lot of this overlaps, of course, as being parents. But there's something special about being a father. You know, I just want to point this out just in case there's any confusion. Uh, God is not male. God is not female. He's not not a sexual being like us. So God is spirit. But father, this word father is this grand analogy. And it's Jesus' chosen analogy for talking about God. So it's something we shouldn't ignore. It's something we should really look in seriously, understanding what does this mean for God to be Father? But what does that mean for us as well is that we as fathers have a high call in our lives. If God is Father and we're also Father. God has given us a model to follow in our own lives, in our family's lives, in the lives of the people that we interact with on a daily basis. We have a high call on our lives. I don't mean to be crass, but I just feel like I need to say this. We don't need more sperm donors. We, me, we need more fathers. Amen. Right? We don't need more men just to come by, father children, and then leave. Or be passive and sit on the couch and not parent their kids. We need fathers, as God has defined that word, to be involved in their kids' lives. And not just be there. Like, I showed you the picture earlier of all those, those, the TV dads. Even Homer Simpson was there. Doesn't mean he was a good father, right? We are called to something great. Absolutely great. And sometimes what we do as a culture is we kind of boil down fatherhood to simple, simply pro- providing and protecting. Which are not bad things by any means. Like, don't hear me on that. Like, these are good things. But sometimes all we do as fathers is think, okay, well, I'm going to provide for my kids so they have something to eat, so they have something to wear, so they have shelter over their heads, I'm going to protect them from things that may try to harm them. And then we're just there, like we get them to school, to their sporting events, to whatever else that they are involved in. We just kind of stop there, and we just let them do whatever. We don't try to guide them. There's a really popular thing nowadays where we just hold our kids out to the world and say, "Okay, well, they're going to find their own way. Hopefully, it's a good one." That why would we do that? If we, want to, if we want the best for our kids, we should constantly be trying to teach them and lead them in the best way, right? So fatherhood is so much more than just providing and protecting. Those are important parts of it, of course. But your kids don't need a chauffeur. Your kids don't need a walking calendar. They don't need a chef. They don't need a security guard. They don't need a teacher from you. What they need is a father. That's what they need. They need you to be a father as God has defined that. The world needs more fathers. We really do. We also need more spiritual fathers. This is something that I feel like is really important for us to understand because I know that not everyone in this room is a father. I know that not everyone in this room is able to be a father. And that's hard. But we also need more spiritual fathers. There are people in this room who never knew their dad. Spiritual far- fatherhood is an amazing privilege. And we see this example in the Apostle Paul a lot throughout Scripture. He calls this guy Timothy his son all the time. Like, they're not blood-related, but he calls him his son, this young pastor. Takes him under his wing and has, like, takes responsibility over this young man. And invests in him as a father would his son, not just as spiritual authority, not just as a teacher, but as someone who's intimately involved in their lives. Paul does this with, with entire groups of people. In First Corinthians four fifteen, Paul's talking to this entire church in the city of Corinth, and he says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, or teachers, you have tons of people that want to teach you about Christ. You do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul goes out of his way and claims people as his spiritual children and says, you know what? Not not like in an authoritarian way necessarily, but in a loving way, right? Saying, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to love you as Christ loves you. I'm going to be involved in your life. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to give you everything that is mine. What is available to me is going to be available to you as well. He goes out of this way to father people. Has anybody in this room ever known someone that they're not related to that just feels like a father or a mother in their life? Anybody? Okay, I see some hands. Good. If you know someone like that, you get a glimpse of what this looks like. Not only do we as a world need more fathers, we need more spiritual fathers. We we need more men to step up and take responsibility for people that aren't their own. And love them as Christ loves them. To invest in them, raise them up, disciple them as Christ loves them. So if you're in this room, especially, I mean, age doesn't necessarily always mean that you're mature. I heard a couple chuckles. Maybe you're thinking of someone in particular. (laughs) But if you're an older man in this room, think about that. What does that mean for you to take up another level of leadership here in this church? It doesn't have to be formal. Maybe it's you look at some of the younger guys walking around and say, you know what, I want to invest in you. Let's hang out. Let's read the Bible together. Let's just share life together. What would that look like? To quote-unquote adopt people in this room or people outside of this room as your spiritual children and treat them as such. It's something that we need more of. As we begin to wrap up a little bit this morning, um, many of you received, we were trying to hand out this out to every dad or every man or people in general, a checklist, a to-do list. So hopefully you got that and sort of reading through it. We we try to be a little funny and make some jokes in there. There's some serious things in there too. But uh, we handed this out just for fun, but It's also an acknowledgement, I mean it's full front and back, right? It's also an acknowledgement that as as dads, there's a lot on your plate. We get that, I get that, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of expectations on you. And it can be so easy just to get in this mindset of, I'm gonna check off as many things as I can. So what we tend to do, what I tend to do when I see a to-do list is I'll go after the easiest things. Right, one of them on there is like, change the oil in a car, you know? Obviously, not every man does that, but some men in the room are like, I can figure that out. I can do that. I'll just knock it out this afternoon. Like, we were just quick to do the tasks. We're quick to do the things that we can get done and check off and say, I was productive. But that kind of mentality doesn't take into account priorities. So I want to challenge you and encourage you in this room if if you're a dad. If you hope to be a dad or maybe you're thinking about, what does it mean for me to be a spiritual father? Take some of these things into account and take, take your priorities into account. What really matters? That you keep all the cars in your house and all the computers and technology up to date, or that you're spending time with your kids every day, that you're listening to their stories, that you're hearing their hopes, their dreams, their fears. What matters more, that you make sure that they get to to every single soccer practice or every single event at school or that you're teaching them about God's love for them on a regular basis. You're helping them get into scripture. So we need to evaluate our priorities. I heard a quote a couple years ago from a good friend of mine. I don't know who said this first. But it says, there are plenty of people in the world that can do your job, your physical job, but you are the only one on the planet who can be the father to your kids. It's true, right? Sometimes we put our focus in things that other people can do. Oh, Teddy, that's my son. (laughs) But we have a big call in our lives. So I hope that this is an encouragement to you. By and large, I'm talking to everybody here. You have a father in heaven. Who adores you. Who's crazy about you. And it is a deep work that we should continue to pursue to move that from our head to our heart. But beyond that, if you're a father in the room, you have a huge, huge call. It's not one that you're going to walk through alone. God walks with you every single moment of every single day and he's going to be the one, the Holy Spirit walks with you. He's going to be the one to mold you, to shape you, and to help you to be a good dad. Stop focusing on your failures. Stop fixating on those and start focusing on your potential. Start focusing on the things that God has gifted you with that he wants to use you for in the lives of your family, in the lives of others in the church. Love your wives well. Love your kids well. Take it upon yourself to set your priorities straight. And again, learn, learn God's fathering heart for you and then learn how to distribute that to the world around you, to your kids. So I hope that that's an encouragement to you. Um, happy Father's Day. I hope that you have a great time celebrating the rest of, the, of today. Um, but let's just close in prayer and come to our Father. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. Sometimes it can feel like a hallmark day and we just have these obligations to buy cards and fill them out and say, hey, thanks, Dad. But I pray that this would be an opportunity for us to reflect deeper on what it means for you to be our Father, for us to understand more what does it mean to live as if we believe that. And I thank you for the men in this room, the fathers in this room, the future fathers. Pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us to be the best we can be, to follow your example, to set our priorities straight, to love others as you have loved them. We just thank you so much for even the concept of fatherhood that you get to define, that you've given us that gift. So we thank you for this morning, ask that you be with us, help us to worship you well this morning, to come to you as our Father, not just as a, a distant spiritual being out there somewhere, but as someone who is intimately involved in our lives, someone who lives inside us. We thank you, Jesus, we give all this to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.